0: Good to see everyone this morning and uh, looking forward to bringing the Word of God. If we can turn to Colossians chapter 1, Epistle to the Colossians chapter 1. Now, believe it or not, Pastors, elders, or well those uh, that serve in the kingdom of God, but in this context, in Hebrews 13, verse 17, as the Bible says, Obey those who rule over you, uh, be submissive to them, and um, then it goes on to say, For they watch out for your souls as uh, ones who must give an account. And so, it's an interesting scripture that's being brought forth and that word watch literally means uh, to be sleepless, to keep awake. Sounds a bit like parenting sometimes, doesn't it, <laughs> with kids? But it really captures in essence, I think, some of the dynamics that are associated with uh, a ministry and uh, shepherding and pastoring and all of those things because there's no doubt that um, involved in that, there is a deep burden that one carries in terms of being uh, given such an oversight and those that are tending, and uh, those that ones that are shepherding and so forth. So, this is a, a very critical component of the ministry. And so, uh, this, this aspect of watching out for our souls is really something that we see in the scriptures. And uh, also, we see it evident in the Apostle Paul's life uh, as he writes to the various churches, and um, and also the deep concerns that Paul has, it's interesting because in uh, again in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's talk, uh, talking about Second Corinthians 11. Sorry, Paul's talking about the various sufferings that he's had to endure uh, for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's, you know, he's listing them, he's talking about them and he's, he's outlining them all uh, in the physical sense as well as they are, are, are appropriate. But then he says in verse 28 of 2 Corinthians 11, he says, besides the other thing, things what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches.'" And so Paul is talking about this, this burden that he bears uh, in, that, uh, you know, in light of, of watching out for your souls. His, his burden is this deep concern for all the churches. And um, uh, being an apostle to the Gentiles and the huge responsibility, no doubt, that he was carrying to establish them in Christ, to make sure that they were founded in walking in the truth of the gospel and, you know, seeing the false teachers that were, uh, you know, trying to undermine the truth of the gospel. So Paul carried these deep concerns for all the churches on a daily basis. And so he's fulfilling that. I think, I think when it says, "Watch out for your souls," in terms of sleeplessness, keeping awake. That's why Paul says, "I don't cease to uh, to pray for you," because that's the nature of uh, of uh, of the ministry in this context. And so, in the book of Colossians, where we're going to look at this morning, we see this being evident in the apostle Paul, and he's demonstrating this care and this concern. Uh, and uh, as he writes to the church that's at Colossae. Now, what's interesting is Paul didn't found this church. In actual fact, w- uh, Paul haven't e- hadn't even visited the church, but there was a group of, there was an assembly, a small assembly of people, and the church had been established by Ep- uh, Epiphus, I think his name is, we'll see there, in Colossians chapter 1. But Paul is obviously aware of the church. He's, he's, he's In his deep concern, he's hearing and he's got his finger on the pulse. He knows what's going on. He's aware of situations and circumstances and their spiritual well-being and where they're at in the Lord. And really, that's what you want to see, isn't it? That that, that is something that is necessary and it is required. And Paul uh, uh, carried this burden because he realised it was a responsibility that was bestowed upon him to ensure that all were established in the truth of the gospel. And that all were walking in the truth of the gospel. That people were living right practically in their lives before the Lord and that they were growing into maturity as Christians. And so these were things that came upon him, and it's a deep challenge to, uh, to anyone that's involved in this particular work, especially when there were false teachers that were coming in, uh, as we find here in the book of Colossians, trying to undermine their faith and, and uh, cause them to um, you know, uh, doubt God and uh, embrace false doctrines and teachings and so forth. So what was it that Paul turned to? Well, we know that he wrote because he wrote much. But one thing that is evident in the life of Paul the Apostle was that he was a man of prayer. He prayed, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed constantly for those that required it as, uh, uh, as he carried the burden and the deep concern in his heart for all the churches of God. So let's read and pick up this particular spirit of Paul. As we read from Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 9 and uh, we'll read actually to verse 14. But Paul writes and he says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, Lord, you would quicken the word of God this morning. God, as we have ears to hear, Lord, give us the revelation that is contained within these verses. Lord, let us have an understanding of that which Paul is praying for, Lord, as he's not only praying for those in Colossae, but he's praying, Lord, for all, even for us this morning. God, I pray that you would bless the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Paul says in verse 9, for this reason, the reason that Paul is referring to obviously relates to the v- previous verses, but he has heard about the genuine faith of the assembly that is gathered, the believers that are there at, at uh, Coloss- Colossae. And he's heard that they have a genuine faith, that they have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and they are bearing fruit unto God. And he talks about the various aspects of the love of the Spirit that is so manifest in them. In verse 3, Paul says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, always praying for you since we heard of your faith. And so Paul's acknowledging that there's a genuineness of faith that is manifested in these people. And as he observes that, as he's heard the report from Ephesus uh, Ephesus, uh, in verse 7, he says, As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister in Christ. And so Paul has heard and is encouraged but he's also aware of the circumstances that are relevant to the church and some of the false teachings that are beginning to make inroads and that are wanting to undermine that work that is amongst the particular church there. And so for this reason he's writing because he wants to continue to establish them, he wants to continue to help them, he wants them to see them overcome, he wants them to see them go on in God. And so, for this reason, he's seeking to build upon that which is already evidently being manifest amongst the church that is gathered at that place. Paul says, for this reason, in light of that, and since the day we heard it, we did not cease to pray for you. Paul is praying. He's praying for the church. He's praying for the members. He's praying for those that, that he has been told about and, he that, and those that he is aware of. And really, this is the hallmark of Paul's life. He was a man of prayer. He prayed specifically. You read his epistles. He's always praying for this specific need for, amongst the church. <coughs> That's excuse me, Um, that specific need amongst the church. And what's interesting is when you look at Paul, he's not just praying in the general sense, but as we'll see in this text and in others in the Bible, Paul, when he prays, he's very specific in what he's praying for. It's one thing to pray, I'm praying for you, but uh, in a general sense, but when we pray, sometimes it it might be generally, but for the most part we must seek to pray specifically we must seek to understand the dynamics, the circumstances and then we must approach the Lord and in praying he says, he says, for this reason we also since the day we heard of it do not cease to pray for you and to ask. He's asking, that word ask means to desire. Paul knows exactly what, he's, what is the need, he's praying exactly what is required and he's petitioning God in relation to the specific needs that relate to the church. Thank God for that. He's not just saying, God bless the church. He has some specific requests, some specific things he's asking of God for the people. And so we find that outlined in the verses um, that we're going to consider. So let's look at them and, uh, uh, and see what it is that Paul is praying for after he has assessed the church identified the needs and now he asks God for the people. He says in verse 9, firstly, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, this is his first request. This is his first prayer to God for the church. And note that it is very important because Paul realises that the people must be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding because if there's anything that makes a Christian vulnerable or a church or a believer and puts them in danger is when they are ignorant of God's word, when they don't understand what God's will is when they are not sure or uncertain or maybe they're resisting the will of God uh, for whatever the the reasons may be. But you see, when there's a lack of knowledge, Paul says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Or when there's there's something that's missing or, or that needs to be added, Paul is identifying this and he says that you may be filled, filled. And so that word fill obviously speaks for itself that they would be full of the knowledge of God, that they would not come short in some way and that really captures uh, uh, what is required because we have to be filled, amen, with the knowledge of his will. That word knowledge is the Greek word epinosis, and what it means is it means to become fully aware or to fully recognise, to come to a f- complete understanding. And so he's saying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God, you would, of his will, that you would come to a full recognition of what it is that God wants you to do and what is his will, what is the doctrine of God, what is the truth of the, of, of the word of God and all those things that are associated in that context. And so this is something that we grow into. That's why Paul's praying for this. It's not something that becomes automatic. We have to, when we, when, we, when we become Christians, we're babes in Christ, aren't we? We just desire the pure milk of God's word. But we have to move on to maturity. We have to move on to solid meat as we find reference to in the scriptures. And so to do that, we're going to have to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so... This is the, the aspect of development and growth that relates to the Christian. But it says that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will, of what God wants, and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Because, you see, it's one thing to have knowledge, but if you don't know how to apply the knowledge of His will, then we're in trouble. We have to have wisdom. And that's exactly what Paul's praying for. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's knowing how to apply it. It's knowing how to, it's not just understanding and coming to a full recognition, but once you have that, it's then taking that and practically applying it to to a situation, to a circumstance of life or whether it's doctrine or whether it's in life or whatever the context may be. But it's imperative. We have to have wisdom and it's in spiritual understanding. Now, this word spiritual understanding is really critical because there's a, there's a lot of understanding that is not spiritual. That's obviously the emphasis, right? So, we need spiritual understanding. We need that which is of the Spirit, that which is of the truth, that which is of, this, of the Word of God. This is critically important, church. That's why Paul is praying specifically for the church because as the false teachers are coming in and they're trying to undermine with their various teachings and doctrines, Paul's saying that you must have a spiritual understanding of the truth of God's word. In actual fact, we have to be careful and avoid that which is carnal, true? That which is of the flesh, that which is human. It can happen. You know, one minute Peter says, "You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God," and in the next minute he says, "Get behind me, Satan." You know what I'm saying? You've got to have spiritual understanding, not carnal understanding. And there's a vast difference and divide between the two. One is heavenly, and one is can be can be not always, but can be demonic. So we we have to have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is the nature of what we're involved in. In First Corinthians. Chapter 2, let me just illustrate it here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. It's a familiar portion of scripture, but let's read it. Paul says to the church at Corinth, verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the, the, the sp- this is what we're talking, spiritual understanding not that which relates to the natural man, not that which is of the carnal man, but that, amen, which is spiritual. And this is Paul's prayer for the, the, the church at, Colossian, at Colossae, that they would have that spiritual understanding. In actual fact, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and again he's emphasising the same things. Look at in, in chapter 1 verse 15, Paul says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, exactly the same type of language he's talking about in the Church of Colossia, he says, uh, um, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding would be like spiritual understanding. Paul knows how critical it is. You have to be able to have that. Now, this spiritual understanding is not dependent upon human intellect. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how smart we think we may or may not be. This has nothing to do with the intellectual capabilities of any human being. We are, what we're dealing with is based on the spirit of wisdom and revelation that comes from God. That what gives us any ability to have spiritual understanding or spiritual discernment is that which relates to this Holy Spirit to God himself. Otherwise, we'd all be lost. Amen? And so, Paul's praying that they might be filled full with the knowledge of his will because if we're short of it, of that knowledge then we're we're vulnerable okay you have to be full of the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that's his first request what's his second one look at verse 10 that you may walk worthy of the lord fully pleasing him you see he moves and he shifts And now he's making reference and we must identify the sequence because uh, you can't walk worthy of the Lord and please him if you don't have a knowledge of his will or have any spiritual wisdom or understanding. It's very self-evident, isn't it? But so that's why Paul's making these sequential requests unto God for the people. And if we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, then it is imperative that we have that full knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Now, what's also interesting is, uh, obviously, Paul is now dealing with the practical conduct of our lives in the manner in which we conduct ourselves and the manner in which we live and how we walk before the Lord, walking worthy. There's only one way to walk worthy before God, that's to walk in the Spirit, amen? Amen. You have to learn to walk. And Ephesians talks about walking in love and unity and and various other practical outflows of that. But it's about walking worthy before the Lord. And that word worthy literally means it means to walk appropriately or it comes from a root word which literally means this, it means to be deserving as of drawing praise. So, when we walk worthy, there's something about our lives that is observable to God, that God acknowledges and He is, it draws praise from Him and He acknowledges that we are walking worthy before Him. Now, we all fall short. None of us here are perfected. But nevertheless, that's our motive. That should be, that, that's, that's the desire that should be in us, is to walk worthy before the Lord. And listen, fully pleasing Him. Fully pleasing Him. See, if we're going to draw praise from God by walking worthy, then we know that we will be fully pleasing to Him. And that word pleasing literally means to be in agreement, or in other words, agreeable. So God is looking at the manner of our conduct and the way that we are walking and the way in which we are living and he is, a, he is um, in agreement with that. And we are walking worthy before the Lord, fully pleasing him. Now really, when we talk about pleasing him, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that pleases God? Faith faith. It all starts with faith. Faith and love. That's the principle. Faith pleases God. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For those that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And so this diligently seeking him is a reflection of our faith. And that's why when we talk about obedience or we talk about walking worthy before the Lord, we're really talking about the fundamental principle and that first and foremost is faith because faith in God leads to obedience to God. That's the biblical principle. And then that leads to a desire to want to do right, a desire to want to please God, a desire to want to please him. In the way in which we conduct ourselves, is it interesting? Jesus said, "I always do those things that please him." Now, I wish we could say that, <laughs> but nevertheless, there has to be our aim, doesn't it? Because if you aim any, if you aim further down, you'll, you'll make sure you'll, you'll hit further down. No worry about that. We have to always be working and aiming in that sense. But in, also we find in Second Timothy chapter two, verse three. It says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You see, one of the most noble motivations that we can have is a heart that says, Lord, I want to walk worthy before you and fully please you. And therefore, we, we in walking, we order our conduct aright. He who orders his conduct aright shall see the salvation of God. Psalm 50, I think it is. He who orders his conduct aright. There's something about the way that, that aspect that relates to us. What does the scripture say? Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. And so there's something about our response, there's something about our action, there's something about us that's engaging uh, and God sees that and it is pleasing to him. We also find that Paul says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. This is the... The, the, the follow on because once we're walking worthy, then we move into the realm of, 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 uh, of the fruit and bearing fruit to God and one of those fruits is, is our good works in which we continually show forth. Uh, we're created for his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10. And so we begin to manifest that fruit. We begin to walk in that manner, and after that manner, uh, uh, and uh, that becomes self-evident. But look at all. Paul also says, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See again, this is so important because you know what? We never really arrive, church. We have to increase and increase and increase and it's interesting because when you look at that, Paul is praying that they would increase in the knowledge of God. See, he's praying that they would be full. But in understand, in, but if you're going to be full, you have—it's progressive, isn't it? So you have to increase, and he's praying that they would increase in the knowledge of God. That word knowledge again—the same Greek word epignosis, which means that you would come to a full recognition that you, by your own walk with God, would come into a fullness of understanding of what His will is for you, what He wants you to do. Because it's one thing for us to keep telling you, Amen. I mean, when you're parenting and you're telling your, your kids what they need to do, but they need to come to a full knowledge of his will. Then all of a sudden it clicks, you know? And that's how it works. And that's why Paul's praying that they would increase in the knowledge, that they would come to that full recognition and full discernment and understanding that there is that increase. You see, it's not just all going to happen, amen? It's a, it is the progressive element. But you see, the Bible has principles and this issue of, 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 uh, of increasing in the knowledge of God is, is, is important. This word increase means to grow, to enlarge, to grow up. And really, let's be honest. I mean, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So there is a divine element and there's a human element and there is a response. There is something in the, you know, uh, that is required in a human dimension that is, is cooperating with God. This is how we see it as it works in the kingdom of God. Let me read to you one of those principles. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, just further down, Paul says, and not holding, he's talking about um, uh, growing up uh, into Christ and so forth, but he says in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, "Therefore, and not holding fast to the head, or meaning that that's what we need to do, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase of, that is from God. You see, so he's talking about the body and he's talking about the joints and the ligaments and how we are connected to each other, amen? And so spiritual growth and increase comes, uh, one of the principles that govern that is as we serve and love one another, as we minister to one another in Christ, there is an increase and that increase comes from God. Isn't it interesting that Paul would write to the Corinthians and they're all saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, no, I'm of Christ. And he says, you're all dum-dums. He says, don't you understand? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Increase comes from God. God. Sure, he uses each one accordingly, uh, uh, one, you know, one to plant, one to water, one minister's in that way, one minister's in that way and so forth, but the increase is from God. And so increasing in the knowledge of God is a very critical component of the Christian life. We have to be increasing. But let's look further, verse 11. Paul says, strengthened with all might strengthened with all might. Now, this is important for us because Paul knows what he's praying for. It's easy, you can read up until this and sometimes think, Gosh, you know, I've got to do so much. And yes, there is a human element, there's a responsibility there. But let me say this Amen. The Christian life can never be fulfilled and lived out in the power of your will or my will. Okay, your will is involved. But it doesn't rest in my resolve because you realise quickly in the Christian life the more you resolve of what you're not going to do, that's what you do. Isn't that how it works? So So Paul is praying strengthened with all might and in uh, according to his glorious power. And that word strengthened literally again captures uh, the growth uh, that must take place within the Christian in terms of the one that's increasing and they are strengthening in the inner man as Paul would call it in Ephesians. And really that strengthening is not something that is a result of so much us, but rather, the Scripture makes it clear that we are strengthened with all might. That word "might" is the word "dunamis." It means power. Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall comes upon you. Dunamis. It's a supernatural power. And Paul. That's why Paul says, "According to His glorious power." That might is not something that's within me. You know, the world says it's, a, you know, the, the, it's all the positive element, it's all this, uh, you know, we've just got to keep you know, believing, keep holding fast and keep doing these things and these things and these things and it's going to work. Well, no. It's not dependent upon the power of man's will. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit who is in us and who is enabling us and empowering us to do what God asks us to do. So, there is a human element, but it's not rooted in our strength, it's rooted in His. And so, we would be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. Now, what is the practical outflow of this power? I mean, you would think, uh, um, Amen. You know, we shall receive power, and we're talking about miracles, signs, and wonders, right? Well, that's something else, but that's not what Paul's got in mind. When Paul writes, he has something. When he's talking about this power, when he's talking about this strengthening, this might, this dunamis that's at work in us, look at what he says. For what purpose? He says, for all patience and (laughs) long-suffering. There you have it. Amen? For all patience and long-suffering. Because you know what? I don't want to, and I'm not here to be pessimistic, but I'm here to tell you the reality. And the Christian life, uh, amen, is a marathon. And uh, in life, in the Christian life, things happen. And uh, what we's required of us, Amen, is to have patience and to suffer long, and that is not easy, in, especially in human strength. It's impossible. We need the grace of God to even accomplish this, and that's why Paul's praying that we would be strengthened in the inner, uh, 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 with all might, according to His power, for all patience or endurance, and long suffering. Now let's just. Put that into perspective, church, because if you've served God for any length of time, you realise that sometimes there's things that happen in life. I mean, we've all got a story to tell. Heartache, frustration, confusion, not having the spiritual understanding that sometimes we would desire. And yet all we can do is bear some of the sorrows and the grievances of life and we pray, we come before God, and everything in you is just like, I don't know if I, I can't. This is so, humanly speaking, maybe it's just me. But you understand what I'm saying. You, we need another, we need the, the Spirit of God enables us right at this point, at our most vulnerable point of weakness. In weakness, my strength is made perfect. And so this is the same principle that Paul is talking about with all patience and all long-suffering. How long sometimes do we have to endure these things? The longer I go on as a Christian, the more I have to be patient and endure long-suffering. Because you know what? When, you're, when, you're, when we're young Christians, we've got life all figured out. Or when you're young, just in, in, in general, isn't it? You know, when people are young, they've got life all sorted out. They under, you, they're going to counsel you. Yeah, well, wait till you live a few years, get a few years under your belt and then after you've experienced some life, come back to me. Because there is a reality, there's a reality in life and there's a reality in the Christian life uh, that exists and we shouldn't be ignorant of that. Paul is saying that this power is to give us patience and long-suffering. But listen to what he says next, With joy. With joy. Sam, can I use you as an example? <laughs> Sam was talking to me this morning and he said he was bearing some of his complaints or his frustrations or whatever. <laughs> and look, let's be honest, we've all got them. Does that mean we never say it or never talk about it? Because we just want to hear like, you know, we're not filled with faith. Or is it that we can be real about some of the things that we are enduring and suffering and going through but in the process of that, spiritually speaking, we're not waning in unbelief, we're not filled with self-pity, we're not filled with a, a, a spiritual confusion in the sense that we have absolute assurance in God. And in doing so, we are patient and we will suffer long. And, amen, we have a joy. And that joy is the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. Because it's not a joy that's dependent on the circumstances of life. Surely not. We'd all be miserable here this morning, but we can come into the house of God and we can rejoice in God regardless of our circumstances because of who God is and our full knowledge of God enables us to worship Him because we have a spiritual understanding and we can have joy that comes from the Holy Spirit and we can rejoice in the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank God for that. Some. But that's the nature of this life. There's a dual of all, this has been my experience, I believe it, there's a dual dimension and they both operate sometimes at the same time. And yet you can be outwardly, you can have every reason to be utterly miserable, maybe you are, but spiritually you can come before the Lord and find the comfort of God, the grace of God, the power of God and you can have the will to praise him and glorify his name. So, why can we have joy? Because we have the knowledge of God. We've increased, amen? The young Christians always, you know, they're upset about this, they're downcast about that, they're, oh you, know, oh, you know, they're up and down. But as you grow in the Lord and you increase in God, amen, you're strengthened in the inner man. And this is the dynamics. And so the joy of the Lord is an evident factor of that. So, <coughs> Paul is praying And he goes on to say, look at verse 12. He says, with joy. Then he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. We'll read the context of that in a minute. But the principle here is giving thanks. Giving thanks. And really this has got to do with a grateful spirit. Because you know what? Job said his wife said to him, just curse God and die. And probably in one sense, he had every reason to, didn't he? But Job had spiritual understanding. And, uh, and he said, naked I came in, naked I go out. He didn't understand anything of the natural dimensions of what was happening. But he, understand, he understood, the, he had a spiritual understanding of God and that was where he drew his faith in the lord and so giving thanks we've got to give thanks we always must maintain a thankful and grateful spirit even when the temptation is to complain and let's be honest we've all got we're all there to, when we we can we can shift to a complaining spirit there's a fine line in there we have to have god's spirit to, to tell us but We'll know when it moves into a dimension that is really a result of an inflection of our heart that we are complaining under the Lord. But we must, and we've got to be careful because once that spirit of complaining comes in, your thankfulness to God will diminish. And yet we're told to, be, uh, give, to give thanks. In Ephesians 5:20, it says, giving thanks always for all things to God. See, this doesn't make sense to the world. This only makes sense to the Christian who understands God's word, who has a full knowledge of God, who is able to have spiritual wisdom and understanding in a situation and enables them to rise above the circumstances and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. God, I don't understand, but I know that you love me. I know that you're for me because your word is filled with so many promises that reveal these things and I'm going to hold fast to that. And so I must maintain a a thankful spirit. You know, sometimes if you've got nothing to be thankful for, thank God you're saved. Thank God I'm not going to hell. Thank God that I am eternally delivered from the powers of darkness. And look at that's exactly uh, an actual fact. If there's anything to give thanks for, look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers... uh, of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We have been qualified and we are partakers of an inheritance that we still don't even fully understand and the more we increase in the knowledge of that, the more we blow out for the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And in, and in verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's enough to thank God for. Thank God that you're saved. Thank God. That was Pastor Warner's first thing that prayed. Thank God for my salvation <laughs> when he prayed up here this morning. Because you never forget where we came from. Amen? I know that there's trials and there's tribulations in this life. But I tell you what, well, I don't know where I'd be without Christ. Without Christ, I, do, I don't even want to entertain those thoughts because I know who I was before the Lord came to me and he saved me and he took me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his Son. And I'll just thank you, amen. Naked I come in, naked I go out. As long as I'm saved, praise the Lord. So even when we don't have human understanding, which is often, which can be often, we have spiritual understanding and this is really what is required. And so we need to draw, draw near with full assurance of faith. We need to hold fast our confession without wavering. We need to understand He who you promised is faithful. And that manifests itself in so many different ways. But you see, let's get back to the principal thought as we conclude. Paul is praying for the church. And really he's offering up a prayer. And he specifically prays and he prays for, I'll just recap what we've looked at. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, of God's will, the knowledge of his will. He prays that they would be full of wisdom and spiritual understanding. He prays that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. He prays that they would bear fruit into good works. He prays that they would increase in the knowledge of God. He prays that they would be strengthened in the inner man, in in essence. He prays that they would have patience and long-suffering with joy And he lastly prays that they would be forever grateful. And really that is in essence that covers so much in there. We've just kind of skimmed across today but meditate upon this in your own time during the course of the week and think about the specific prayers that Paul is praying and how they apply to your life and the Holy Spirit will minister to each of us. But let it be, amen, walk worthy before the Lord fully pleasing him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. Lord, let the word that has gone forth, let it be sown deep into the hearts, Lord. Let it not God fall by the wayside, but God, let it bring forth fruit. Fruit, Lord. And that this gospel that we preach would bear fruit, Lord. Where I ask God that you would bless your people, minister to them individually, minister to God corporately, God, bring an increase that only you can bring. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.